I'm Chanae Ogumike. I'm Lisa Leslie, and we're very excited to tell you about our new podcast with Blue Wire, Front and Center. Lisa and I are breaking down what's going on in our lives, in the world, and keeping it 100. We're also learning from amazing guests as well, like Emmanuel Acho. People that show love to me, I forever got their back. Vivica A. Fox. If the foundation isn't right, then the rest of it's going to go wrong from there. And more. Subscribe to Front and Center today. Well, the bye week has come and gone, and though it feels like the last time the Browns played was 2018, it is finally time for Cleveland to take the field this weekend against the 2-6 and six Houston Texans at First Energy Stadium. Now, don't let the Texans' record deceive you. Yes, their defense is probably one of the worst in the NFL, but on the other side of the ball, they have Deshaun Watson, who's playing probably the best football of his young NFL career. Now, this is fairly amazing since the Texans decided to ship off DeAndre Hopkins, a top three or top five wide receiver, depending on your perspective, for the Arizona Cardinals before the season. And Deshaun Watson is throwing to people like Will Fuller, Kenny Stills, and the corpse of Randall Cobb. Oh, and former Brown Duke Johnson is there, too, just hanging out. I wanted to bring on Charles McDonald. You know him on Twitter, at 4 He's a former writer for SB Nation and current beat reporter for the NY Daily News covering the Giants and Jets to talk about how it's even possible for Deshaun Watson to be having such an incredible season when he was stripped of one of the best wide receivers in the NFL. So we hit on that and how the Browns are going to need to score a ton of points this weekend and not take the Texans lightly if they want to come out of the bye with what is the first of many of must-wins as the Steelers and Ravens just continue to win football games. And the Browns need to do the same if they want to sniff the playoffs. I also wanted to talk to Charles about the transition from writing for SB Nation to becoming a beer reporter, and also get his national perspective on the Cleveland Browns and how they've performed so far this season. And finally, to just roast him for his very incorrect take that he had on Twitter about the weekend being a bad singer. So, without further ado, I'm Jordan Zern, and this is The Rebuild. All right, well, I'm uh, I'm excited to welcome Charles McDonald onto the podcast. Uh, if you don't follow Charles on Twitter, at 4Verts, you need to change that immediately. He's also a senior NFL writer at NY Daily News, used to be with SB Nation. Um, Charles, thanks for taking some time out today, man. What's going on? Nothing much. You know, I feel like a lot of people kind of got nothing but time, you know. So uh, I'm, it, it's always good to kind of get some human interaction and uh, <laughs> and talk to people you don't talk to that often. So I'm, I'm glad to be on here. It is, man. It's funny. Like whenever I'm having a conversation with a friend or coworker or whatever, and they're like, oh, what are you doing this weekend? It's kind of like, I, I don't know, man. Like nothing. What are you doing this weekend? I don't know. You know, I, 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 uh, I might turn on some Netflix, crack a few beers, go to sleep. <laughs> yeah. Wild weekend at home. Yeah. It's going to get loud. Um. Cool. Well, Charles, I kind of wanted to start with you um, because I saw you send a tweet, I think it was a couple of days about uh, days ago about Deshaun Watson, how well he's playing. Um, the Browns obviously are coming off their bye um, and they're going to face the Texans in Cleveland. Uh, I think, you know, obviously the Texans have a have a lot of issues. They're two and six. Their defense is probably one of the one of the worst in the NFL. I was um, I did a little bit of writing, a little preview for uh, Browns Texans uh, last night. And so I was looking up 
some statistics. And yeah, the Texas defense is uh, maybe closing in on, if not, they're already the worst in the league. They're, they're getting there. Um, but on the other side of the ball, like it's not really been any fault of the Sean Watson, why the Texans are two and six. Obviously everybody is well aware of the trade that happened in the off season where they, you know, they, they jettisoned DeAndre Hopkins to the Cardinals and brought back uh, David Johnson, who it looks like is going to miss this week with a concussion, but I think he's only got about 400 yards rushing and like three touchdowns on the ground. And Deshaun's out here throwing to guys like Randall Cobb and like no disrespect to like Will Fuller, who's a fine wide receiver, but um, you know, he's often injured and he's just probably not the same type of weapon when you don't have DeAndre Hopkins on the other side of him. Um, he's got a couple of kind of meh tight ends that he's throwing to like, there just isn't a lot offensively for Deshaun Watson to work with. And yet, you know, he's, really, I think, probably having the best year of his career. I just was – and I saw you tweet about that too. Like, Deshaun gets forgotten because of how bad the Texans are, but um, he's he's playing out of his mind. What have you sort of – from any of the tape that you've watched or just just games that you've watched of Deshaun so far this season, why why is he – I think everybody knew and everybody knows he's a very, very good quarterback. Why has he been able to sort of, like, take his game to another level when he lost probably one of the best wide receivers in the NFL? I think, well, I, I, first of all, I do think he is playing like just the best football of his career. Like maybe outside of like that unbelievable stretch he had as a rookie where he was just throwing like a million touchdowns a game. Like I, I think that this is, this is probably the best football he's playing. And I think that it's a more sustainable way of football that he's playing because you know, we see in a lot about how Deshaun Watson, uh, He's kind of a gamer back there where he's going to take his chances and get sacked a lot. And, you know, that's still true about him to a degree. Uh, but one thing that I think that he's gotten a lot better at this year is playing in the pocket and, you know, not always trying to be Superman uh, uh and extend plays and, you know, open himself up to negative plays that way too. So, uh, you know, I, I was a little skeptical this year because I was just like, how do you – recreate you know offensive success uh the offensive success success that they've had without deandre hopkins and you know watson's just kind of put this entire offense on his back like david johnson has given them absolutely nothing this year uh and you know it's kind of hilarious that we kind of all knew this was going to happen you trade uh for a running back who hasn't really played well in three years for uh, a top flight wide receiver it's shocking that he's still really not doing all that much uh but he he's just got full total command of this offense. I mean, his accuracy is just unbelievable right now, whether it's down the field, intermediate level, short, like he's not missing all that much. Uh, he's just a, a consistent source of big plays. And it's just been crazy to see him do this in a year where we all realize that supporting cast around him uh, is not that great. I mean, Will Fuller and Kenny Stills are like in and out of the lineup, but for the most part, this is just him. And it sucks because you see like what he could be doing on like a good team. Like if this is what he's doing with a bad team, like imagine what he could do with a good team. And it's also kind of sucks because we see over and over again, we talk about how much quarterback play matters and how much quarterback play is the most important thing. And it is, but we see here with the Texans that this team is so bad that not even like legitimately elite quarterback play. Like I'm not just talking good. I'm talking like elite quarterback play, especially over the past uh you know, four or five games where he's just been unconscious. And I think they've only won two games, both against the Jaguars. So uh, it, it sucks that we're kind of seeing this 
you know, superstar talent get stuck on such a bad team. Uh, but it, it's also kind of gives us a lens to, to view how we view, like to, to think about how we view roster construction and other things like that, where, you know, it's good to have a great quarterback, but that can't be the only thing you have on your roster. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think that's a really good point. I think, yeah, I, Deshaun had a pass. We, we posted this to the, to the check down a couple of days ago. He had a pass against the Jaguars last week. That was just like so pristinely accurate to, uh, um, to Brandon Cooks, who, excuse me, I for, I forgot about, uh, to mention Brandon Cooks. No disrespect to, uh, to Mr. Brandon Cooks, but, um, that where Deshaun hit him, you know, he was kind of on this crossover the middle, but he had, a linebacker and um, another guy. I actually think you retweeted the play. I think that's initially where I saw it. Um, mm-hmm. where this guy, he was basically being shadowed by a, by a linebacker and a quarterback over top, and he still um, fit this ball into like this minuscule window. And it was just this gorgeous pass. And I feel like he's been doing that all year. And another yeah. thing too, he's also just, you know, one of the best QBs. I think. I, I think probably maybe earlier in his career, like Carson Wentz got a lot of credit for being a guy that just like could escape the pocket no matter what. Like I remember Carson Wentz as a, a rookie and and year two, like he would just get out of some impossible situations with the pocket collapsing around him. Um, I think Deshaun, uh, especially this year, last year, I remember as well, like is one of the best at just like somehow avoiding a sack and getting outside the pocket and still making a play. Like sometimes it's really unbelievable to watch him um, escape pressure. I think everybody remembers where he got poked in the eye last year while he was trying to get mm-hmm. out of the, out of the sack and still through a touchdown. Like it feels like he does that too on a regular basis. And that's almost as incredible to watch as sort of some of the other stuff he does. Yeah. I mean, the guy is just incredible. And I think one thing that's also cool to me is like, I remember when he was going through the draft process and people were like, Oh, you know, the, the, the radar gun at the combine, like he doesn't throw that hard. I'm like, well, it's about more than that. And it's, I think what makes Deshaun such a special thrower is like the control on these passes and that passes that, the pass that you just brought up, uh, is such a good indicator of that because he doesn't, he doesn't have the strongest arm in the world. I mean, you, you could even see on some of these deep passes where he's not afraid to fling it out there, but the, the passes die on him sometimes as, as they're trying to get to the receiver. But you see like the control that he has on these intermediate passes where like he'll throw it and almost like a pitcher, like with the curveball, the ball will just like end up right where he needs to. And you just see like the accuracy, uh, with, with how, with how good he is throwing the ball. And, uh, you know, that, that kind of stuff is stuff that we need to maybe care about more in draft evaluations over just straight arm strength and physical talent. But uh, he's got, like, all the intangibles down in space. Yeah, he definitely does. I remember that radar gun thing with him at the combine was one of the so sillier stupid. was one of the sillier narratives that uh, has come. I mean, there's a lot of dumb narratives that come out of the NFL combine, and um, that was one of the worst. Um, Charles, do you have any faith that like the Texans organization is ever going to be a place where like competent football decisions are made and, and Bill O'Brien doesn't have all of this power and, uh, and all that? Because I guess like my biggest worry with Deshaun is that he's just going to be, I mean, look, they've made the playoffs before. Like, so it hasn't been a total and complete disaster there in his career, but like, you know, where they are now and sort of where they are moving forward after some of the stuff that, has gone on in, in the front office and with Bill O'Brien, like it's just not very encouraging for the next kind of second half of Deshaun's career. Do you have any do you have any faith that the Texans are going to be able to like kind of rewrite the ship after this season and like provide Deshaun with the weapons and sort of platform he needs to like be as successful as he can? Uh, I guess that's kind of a TBD because it's going to be tough for them next year 
with no first or second round picks, and you, you've and the, the one of the mess up things is as bad as this team is. If you look at like overthecap.com, they're already eight million dollars over the 2021 cal, uh, salary cap ceiling. So like they got they got to do some cutting. And Will Fuller and Kenny Stills are projected hit free agency. Like I said, you got no pick. So like next year, I would assume is going to be pretty tough for them. And I, I mean, the thing that Bill O'Brien really, really, really struggled with. Uh, the most I think was just struggling on how to value your assets. Like good for Larry McTunzel, right? For, for getting $22 million a year, but there's just no way that you should be trading the first and the second round pick for a left tackle and then paying them $22 million per year on top of that. Like that's where you start to see uh, these poor roster decision, decisions mount up against each other where you have the value slanted so so horribly towards one team. And like we see the Dolphins, you know, you don't really need to pay a left tackle that much money. You can just find a decent guy and, and bulk up your team elsewhere. And, uh, or, or with the DeAndre Hopkins trade, like why are you trading away a top five receiver, a top three receiver for a declining running back and taking all, all the money from that deal and barely, and not even get a first round pick in return. Uh, or with the Jadavion Clowney deal, like why are you trading away Jadavion Clowney, getting just a third round pick and some backup linebackers in exchange for that? I mean, they, they've gutted some talent in a way that is not only, uh, you like, not only are you losing talent, it's also very costly for, uh, against the cap. Uh, and you're not getting the value on the field in response for that. So, you know, they've, they've got a big rebuild ahead of them. Like, luckily they have the quarterback in place, but it'd be more fun if we could see him play for like a team that's not going to be, spinning around for a couple of seasons because, you know, once you get to 2022 and you finally have those first round picks or you have that sec- first and second round pick, it's not like you're guaranteed to just get two instant impact guys that are going to come in and save your 2022 season and help you help you get to the playoffs. Like those are guys that are still going to have to season and grow and, and kind of figure out what it takes to be an NFL player. So, you know, like we're looking at a multi-year rebuild for this and just based on, uh, what we're seeing this year. I mean, the guy is playing absolutely lights out. He's having the best season of his career. He's one of the most efficient passes in the league, and they're two and six. And, you know, that's kind of the world that Deshaun Watson is going to inhabit over the next couple of years. Yeah, man, you just wonder, like, what Deshaun's patience level is like. I think he had that quote about what would have happened or what his feelings were had the <laughs> had the Texans made that Will Fuller trade with the Packers, and it was something like – I forget exactly what the quote was, but he was not happy. Like, I, you just are very curious about <laughs> where Deshaun Watson's level of patience is going to be as yeah. they sort of go down this road. Yeah, hey, but I will say this. As a Falcons fan, we might have a quarterback opening in, like, two years. So <laughs> if the Texans are in a rebuild – Deshaun Watson was the ball boy for the Falcons as a kid. We can uh, we can bring him back home. Oh, there we go. So you already have the story lined up. It would be perfect. Exactly. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier. Like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it and fast. 
Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. So go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offers valid through December 31st. Well, yeah, so the Texans are, you know, coming into Cleveland and obviously I think Deshaun Watson is not going to have any issue uh, putting up points on this Browns defense. I think it's probably going to be on the other side of the ball. The Browns are going to have to score a good amount, but that also shouldn't be too much of an issue for them against this Texans defense, um, especially with the Browns getting Wyatt Teller and Nick Chubb back this week, as well as Austin Hooper. Um, so their offense is going to be, you know, outside of the Odell injury is going to be as close to full strength as it's been in, as a while. Um Charles, I haven't really gotten to, to chat with you much about, you know, your thoughts on, on the Browns this season. So, you know, off the bye, they're five and three, pretty not great loss to the Raiders uh, at home in pretty uh, terrible weather conditions that you thought would favor the Browns in that game. Um, they dropped that one 16 to six, just played really poorly on both sides of the ball that game. Um, but, you know, I think for the most part, at least from my perspective and a lot of like sort of people in Cleveland that follow the team, um, it's been a so far like a somewhat surprisingly successful season. I mean, I think everybody thought that they would be um, better than last year, but I, I don't think people knew what to expect from Kevin Stefanski, even though, you know, it seemed like people were high on him. I don't think people knew what to expect from, from Baker so far. And Baker obviously has been very up and down and uh, the jury's still out on him, but uh, I'm curious for your thoughts on, on just as stuff you've seen from the Browns so far this season, as they come out of the bye and um, just what, maybe what your expectations were and, and have they met them? Are they under them or where are they at for you? Uh, I think they've met expectations for me. Uh, like my thing with, the Browns this season, like my general thought process was, you know, this is a team that has definitely enough talent to beat up on like on the bad teams or maybe the teams that don't have, that can't match like their offensive personnel. And if Kevin Stefanski can just come in and just be like an actual NFL coach, like this should be a team that can uh, at least get to the playoffs or, or be on the doorstep of a playoff berth because I mean, you, you just look at all the talent they have in offense and it, it, it just, what they did last year, it was just such a severe underachievement based on like the level of talent they had that I, I think that for me, it was just like, if you can just get a guy in here who's just going to be like a real organized NFL coach, not even like elite or great, then this is a team that, that, that can go places. Uh, and I think that that's possible. You know, I, I just think that what the Browns are, is you still got to get over the Baltimore and Pittsburgh hump. Like I know that, that they beat the Ravens early in the season last year on the road, but, uh, for me, like those those games against the Ravens and the and the Steelers this year are just very clear indicators that this team still has like another hurdle to climb. And for me, I'm not really sure what that is, uh, be, unless you just want to start talking about getting a new quarterback. Because you know, I I think that everything is in place here for like a legit playoff run, but uh, I don't know if Baker is a guy to kind of lead them on that run. But at the same time. You know, Mike Ryan, uh, who who does the uh, Labor's Heart Show podcast, he's a producer for them. He tweeted like a couple weeks ago where, you know, Baker Mayfield may not be the answer, but he's the best answer that the Browns have had in a really long time. So uh, you just kind of got to ride this out and, and see what happens. But, you know, the games against the Steelers and the Ravens concern me. That game against the Raiders was just like weird. Like I, for both teams, honestly, yeah, that's just like a throwaway game for me because the the result was just – 
so bizarre for what both teams have put together up until that point in the year. It's just like, I don't really know what to think of that game, but uh, you know, I, I just think there's another step that this team needs to take and that's getting over the top with Baltimore and Pittsburgh. But, you know, I just don't know what that missing piece is unless you just want to talk about getting a better quarterback. Yeah. Um, I, it is, it continues to be wild to me that you mentioned that Baltimore win where they went into Baltimore last season, um, and won big, like scored a ton of points. And yeah, they then, scored like 40 points in that they game. They scored 40 points and then the Ravens like didn't lose another game for the rest of the season or like for at least like <laughs> most of the season. And that like for them to have like won that game under that Freddie Kitchens regime is, um, just absolutely mind blowing that it happened. Um, yeah, you're right. They, they are, they still remain a tier, maybe even a couple tiers below you know, where they need to be against Baltimore uh, and Pittsburgh. This season, obviously, that week one loss where they just got demolished in Baltimore was fairly was fairly weird. I mean, I think, like, I think it is an indicator of where they of where they are, like, in terms of ability against those teams. But, you know, that one was obviously their first game with this weird offseason. The Browns had this brand-new coaching staff, all of that. So I, I take some of that game with a grain of salt, but then they, they played that game against Pittsburgh, and you're kind of like, oh, maybe maybe it wasn't, like, that much of an anomaly after all. So, yeah, they are, they are certainly um, behind, very far behind both those teams. And I, I do think like offensively, they, they clearly like have the talent to, to match up with a lot of these teams. I do think it's going to eventually rest on the shoulders of, of Baker Mayfield. And, you know, we've, these are conversations I've had on this podcast all season long because he is such a week to week guy um, in terms of his performance and like how you feel about him from one week to another. He's obviously like been very good against teams like Cincinnati Um and some of those, you know, bad teams that, you know, the Browns should beat. And for a very long time, like the Browns do not beat those teams. So I take those as wins regardless and a step forward for the Browns. And I think that is also a reflection of like Kevin Stefanski just being an adult and like <laughs> having the team prepared. But then you watch him against, yeah, the Steelers and the Ravens. And um, it's going to be interesting because until the Browns play the Steelers and Ravens again in this back half of the schedule, they don't really have – they probably have one of the easier schedules in the NFL. They come out against uh, the Texans, like we talked about. Then they're going to play um, the Eagles, who are struggling. They've got the Titans in there, who the Titans looked like at the beginning of the season. They were a pretty formidable team, and then they're just kind of going the opposite direction. You saw them kind of get somewhat blown out last night on Thursday Night Football. So, like, they're not really going to have a major test again until they do play Baltimore um, and, and Pittsburgh again in the second half of the season. So it's going to be – it's just hey, hard. they got a big game against the Jets. <laughs> That's true. They have a huge <laughs> game against the Jets, which I know you're going to be. You're just you. You've got that one circled on the calendar, so that's a big one. Yeah, they play both New York teams coming up, so that's going to be great. Um, so yeah, it's just it's it's hard to for the organization. I think you know this is obviously going to be the conversation that's coming up. Like they have to make the decision on Baker's fifth year option, and they have to sort of make a decision about what they want to do with him. And there was a recent press conference that Andrew Barry had. And I think both him and Kevin Stefanski, like when they're asked about Baker Mayfield, their tone is a little like, obviously they're not going to say, yeah, we're, we have no idea. We're still evaluating him. We don't know if he's our quarterback for the future, but they're basically just saying like, Oh, he's done everything we've asked. Uh, we want him to improve in some areas and, and this, but it's just kind of like this very like company line on him, which is very interesting to me. So I'm sort of fascinated by like, what the decision on Baker is going to be kind of moving forward. Yeah. And it's interesting. Like to me, like where Baker really struggles is when you play 
I don't I really know how to describe it other than like a smash mouth pass defense, which is kind of what the Ravens and Steelers do, where, you know, usually when you think of smash mouth defense, you think of like these old school defenses where they're allowing like two yards per carry and just punching them out every play. But in this new brand of NFL, you have teams like the Ravens and the Steelers who are just going to come after you. I mean, blitz, blitz, blitz happy. We're going to put six on the line of scrimmage like the Dolphins do and just come after you. And we're going to play man coverage on the back end. And if your quarterback, if your quarterback is someone that's going to be back there in panicking like Baker does, then that's like the clear way for teams to beat you. And if, if they have, especially teams like Baltimore and Pittsburgh where they have a secondary talent in the back end. I mean, that's just a recipe for disaster. And that's something that Baker's going to have to get better with. Like, bro, it's football. You're going to get punched in the mouth sometimes. You're going to get hit. Like, you got to sit in there and make those throws and not panic, and it's going to hurt. But that's part of the job. And, and you still see him kind of bailing and get nervous under those circumstances. And, and if he doesn't get over that, then more teams are going to start clicking onto the blueprint on um, this is how you shut them down pretty easily. We'll just send five or six at him and he'll poop his pants and we'll get to the next series. Like that's where he's got to get better or else the ceiling on not only this offense, but his career is like really, really capped. Yeah. that That's the issue is like, there is a, when you have the defensive talent that the Ravens and the Steelers do, like there is a very clear blueprint on how to um, make Baker uncomfortable and make Baker like play poorly. <laughs> I think you hit on that exactly. Like, you know, make him start to feel panicked in the pocket by getting pressure. And, you know, both the Ravens and Steelers can kind of do that with their front four. Um, play some disguised coverages on the back end, because that's another thing that Baker really struggles with, especially when he's being pressured. Um, and and you kind of have a blueprint where, you know, you, you're you pretty confident going into the game that you're going to kind of get him flustered. And, yeah, like you said, until he shows, like, in a game against one of those caliber of teams that he can make, you know, the adjustments, not only the adjustments, but also like not really like get panicked in the pocket, then yeah, you're right. Like the ceiling is pretty clear and it's coming in pretty hard. And um, that's going to leave the Browns with kind of a, a pretty tough decision to make. Yep. Football is back and in full swing. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to BetOnline today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. And don't forget to use the promo code BLUEWIRE at BetOnline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. So, um, Charles, I wanted to quickly move just to, to you personally, because, um, I think, you know, we talked <laughs> when I had you on this podcast last, I think <laughs> this was before, this was after the Freddie Kitchens hire. Uh, and that was, uh, that was great. I'd like to erase all of that from my memory. Oh, so. Yeah, I would too. <laughs> <laughs> so we won't speak on the contents of that podcast, but, um, you know, since then, you know, you're working for SB Nation, um, and now you are, you know, with the NY Daily News. And, um, I'm just curious as somebody who, uh, with a little bit of a, a writing background and who has sort of, 
I think what you were doing at SB Nation, you know, was more of um, a guy that's sort of, you know, watching, obviously not like a, a, a quote unquote beat reporter, which feels like a little bit more of what you're doing now with the NY Daily News, which I know is probably like a bit of a transition for you from someone at SB Nation who's maybe taking a look at the league um, from a zoomed out lens and, and maybe getting to have like a little more, you know, fun kind of writing, you know, I hate using the word blogs, but like that, you know, kind of that blog style and that, that sort of tone with SB Nation when, you know, SB Nation was sort of at its peak there. But um, has it like, what has the transition been like for you from, you know, that job to then kind of like, you know, sitting in on coaches press conferences and asking questions to Adam Gase and like all that type of stuff? Like, what has that transition been like for you? It's been fun. I mean, uh, it's different, especially like, especially last year was so different because I had never had a job where I was in the locker room and doing stuff like that. And it was so crazy. Like I remember I went to the Giants locker room and I was like, Oh crap, like there's Eli Manning, uh, just sitting right across from me. I just started talking. Uh, and you know, go to the Jets, like, Oh, there's Le'Veon Bell. It's like all these guys that I've seen growing up. Uh, and that was kind of surreal. Uh, it's getting to ask some questions and, you know, having to deal with deadlines in a way that I didn't at SB Nation and traveling, you know, not, not traveling games, but traveling a lot within New York City to, go to different events and talk to people and stuff like that. I mean, it was, it's a blast. Uh, unfortunately, like that stuff has all been nixed this year. Uh, I, I mean, like all our, all our, uh, sessions with Adam Gase and the Jets coaches and players are, are remote. Uh, I mean, going to a game doesn't really even make sense because you go to a game and you watch and then, they email you a link to a Zoom meeting where you get the press conference. Like, you have to find a spot at the stadium to listen to the Zoom link. I'm like, man, like, this guy's just downstairs. Like, I can't just go talk to him, but nope. Uh, so, honestly, I've been doing game days from home for the most part, and it, it, it almost, like, has reverted itself a little bit back into, like, that that blogs, like, that blog feeling with SB Nation because it's all remote, and uh we don't have like the same level of access that we used to. And it's so funny, man. Like, so, you know, usually after a game, like in a normal year, you go, you go down to the locker room and you basically have access to talk to whoever you want to. Like they'll, ha- they'll have little uh, podiums for like the popular guys like Saquon Barkley or, or, or Daniel Jones or what have you. Uh, but for the most part, you can just go, go up to anyone's locker and just start talking to them. And, and that's how you get your quotes for the stories. But now uh, you have to get, or now, now the PR team kind of just gives you guys to talk to. And what's funny, especially with the Jets, is like as they start losing, less and less guys start wanting to talk, uh, which I get. I mean, because look, you're zero and nine. What's left to say about this? Like, it's it's terrible. There's nothing good going on. Uh, and now sometimes, like after a game, we'll get like three guys that want to talk to us and. You know, some of the older guys in the beat will will start getting upset. But, you know, I just kind of take – I try to look at it, like, in a way where, look, it's not that serious. And, two, what are they going to say that they already haven't said for the past seven weeks? I mean, you know, if you, I feel like if you're if, – if you can figure out a way to have fun with this, like, there's a way to make content out of a piss-poor team that goes beyond just, like, complaining that people aren't talking. But uh, it, it, it's just – it's it's – you know, this is – uh, year two of covering like these loser teams and like you see the same themes come out where no one wants to talk but now we get it in a way where like they really don't have to talk if they don't want to because you know I, I mean I've seen players bark at PR people in the locker rooms and I can only imagine like if 
someone doesn't want to talk. Like, it's not like a PR person can put hands on this NFL player and make them talk to us, <laughs> you know? Like, if they don't want to talk, that's it. Uh, and that's kind of where we're at with these, with the 0 and 9 team. Uh, it's a, uh, it's a, uh, it's been an experience, uh, for sure. Yeah. I, uh, I don't, I would not envy the job of that PR person trying to go up to like, you know, I don't know. Quentin Williams is like a nice guy, but he's huge. Like I, you know, I wouldn't want to be the dude coming up to him and be like, Hey, I really would appreciate it if you could just hop on the zoom with so-and-so reporter and just like really trying your best to get somebody to do it. And the guy's just like, absolutely not like that. I, I would be all the way good on having that job. Yep. Yep. I mean, <laughs> look, it's uh, I, I, right now I'm just kind of hoping we see like 0 and 16 because I would love to, to cover an 0 and 16 team because it'd be an honor. Right. Like it's, a, it's an honor. And <laughs> to be honest with you, I think I'm like the only person on the Jets beat still having fun with this because it's like, what new depths can we reach today? Uh, because they were the three weeks, a three week stretch where like I was dying laughing. Like, so the first game they lost to. Uh, the first game of the stretch was a 24 to nothing loss to the Dolphins, where the Dolphins like didn't even play that well. This was the last game Fitzpatrick started, and you know when you go back and watch that game, like I kind of see the thought process where the Dolphins were like we it's, it's kind of time to make the switch because they didn't convert a third down until two minutes left in the game when Tua came in, and they still won 24 to nothing. Like it's not it wasn't a very impressive <laughs> performance for brutal. for the for the Dolphins. It was just like wow, the Jets are really really bad. So that's the first game, and then. The next game was the game against the Bills, and I think this was the first game that Adam Gase gave up play calling in favor of Dowell Logans, the offensive coordinator. And Dowell, uh, you know, pulls out an offense, <laughs> and, you know, I'm sitting there thinking, like, wow, this is amazing. Like, they're running real plays. They're moving the ball, and they score, like, 10 points in the first half, and I was, like, thrilled with what I just seen. Uh, that's how beaten down I was. And then they come out in the second half. And they get four yards of offense the entire second half, like one, two, three, four yards. Uh, and <laughs> I remember I was watching that game, and I'm just seeing them punt over and over and over and over again, and then the game ends. And I was like, wait, did they move the ball in the second half? Like, for real, like, I don't remember seeing them do anything with the football in the second half. So I went back to the drive chart and counted it up, and, yeah, they had four yards in the second half, and I think – Three of their five drives in the second half went for negative yards, just like unbelievably bad. And then the next week they play the Chiefs, and Patrick Mahomes threw five touchdowns in three quarters, and the Jets uh, ex- exiting that game had thrown four touchdown passes all season. So, uh, you know, it, it's just like a master class in incompetence, and it's just it's just funny because I I haven't gotten like poisoned of being here on the beat for 20 something years. So for me, this is all fresh and new and I'm just, I'm just finding new ways to, to, to laugh and, and make clarity out of it every week. Like I've started doing a little Tuesday column and I try to dedicate like one block of it to the jazz so we can just kind of laugh about how bad this is. It's, um it's unbelievable. I, I forget if, was it you that wrote the piece on how they got those uh, four yards of offense in the second half? Uh, what did you say? Uh, was it you that wrote the piece on – did you break down, like, how Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So that is, like, one of my favorite <laughs> things I've ever read because I was like, I, this, there's no way that an NFL team can only compile, you know, four yards of offense. And then I, right, and, and I I didn't think it was possible either. So I was like, you know what would be funny? Like, if we – like, and I think it's funny to just take a, a, 
a very unserious topic, silly topic, and give it a very serious hands-on treatment. <laughs> yeah. So, like, we'll just go through and break down. Here's how the Jets got four yards in a single half of football. And I think that that was something that people really enjoyed. So, you know, even even – like there are ways to cover crappy teams without just pooping on them all the time because that gets boring for me and people don't like reading that stuff. So, you know, you got to mix it up a little bit every once in a while and have some fun with it. For sure. And, you know, that should be up for the Pulitzer at the end of the year. And, you know, if you don't get it, I'm going to be, I'll send a letter to somebody because uh, it needs it. The other, the other thing that, and we can kind of end on the Jets thing on this, but like, it's also in your, um, I love when you change your, your Twitter name to various things, but right now you are the number one going hyperdrive fan. And I think it's my, <laughs> I think that's been my favorite Adam Gase quote. Because that was kind of early in the season, but it, I just remember it came after, like, I don't know, some, you know, they, all their losses, like you said, have been pretty bad. But it, when he <laughs> legitimately decided to say in a press conference that, uh, you know, we just got to, you know, we got to put our offense into hyperdrive. And it's just like an incredible quote. Do you Is that your favorite Adam Gase quote of the year? Is there one that's been better since? Uh, where are you at with that? I think that's the best one uh, because now a lot of it is just him just throwing people into the bus and blaming other people for, you know, why the team is so bad. So I, I think going hyperdrive is the best part because uh, I, I don't remember which game he said it was time to go into hyperdrive, but I think they scored like three points after that the week after that. I'm like, dude, just <laughs> like not, you know, not, not to, to – advocate for people losing their job in the middle of the pandemic but also how do you still have a job here like it's pretty remarkable and you should teach me just remarkable and then just remark i mean i guess you know maybe coaches don't always think out stuff they're gonna say in these pressers but like for him to decide that that was the line he was gonna go with and, uh, knowing what their offensive capabilities are and like just what the team is is just oh man i i could not get enough of of the hyperdrive thing so um i hope yep. you i hope you keep your twitter name uh that forever um all right, Charles, we're going to end on this. We're going to end on a, a very controversial ta- uh, take that you had recently on Twitter uh, yesterday. You know, the NFL announced that um, really just great recording artist, um, great singer, great, just great guy, uh, star of the uh, Uncut Gems movie. You know, just a lot of accolades for this guy. <laughs> the weekend um, is going to be performing at the Super Bowl this year. Um, and you, you said, let me, let me find this tweet. I want to make sure that I've got the wording uh, right here. Cause it really, um, it really hurt me. This one really hurt me. Oh, I say he, they should have got someone who can, who can sing. <laughs> there it is. That's what it is. Charles, we got to talk about this, man. When, when you say that, do you mean, you just don't think, you don't think he's like a good singer at all? Like I, you think he's just I don't, a bad voice? I don't think he's a talented singer, uh, like at, at all, really. And look, this is, this is, this is a very boomer take for me. And I, <laughs> I, I understand this, but you know, I grew up in a house, like we're listening to like Anthony Hamilton and Teddy Pendergrass and Patty LaBelle on the weekends and Marvin Gaye and Al Green and, you know, people who can like really, really sing, like from the pit of their stomach, like really sing, like, like when you, when you hear them, like they don't need any anything added to their voice, no auto-tune, no nothing like that. Like, when I think of singers, I think of, like, all-time pantheon R&B singers because that's, like, my frame of reference for what singing should be. And I think, personally, that our generation has really lowered our standards on what we consider to be good singing because, like, when I think of people like The Weeknd and Bryson Tiller, like, they make some catchy songs, but that's not someone I think of just straight up bellowing out at stadium and captivating people with how good their voice sounds. Like, I don't think The Weeknd is that kind of person. And then when I explain it to someone, I'm like, if you put The Weeknd on 
like like I, I kind of consider myself like a connoisseur of R&B music. Like that's kind of my favorite genre of music. And if you put him on like the the scale of all the voices that we know, I'm talking like on the scale a scale that includes like Whitney Houston and Adele and people of that nature. He just doesn't he doesn't match up. Like he's not even close. And that's not someone that I want to hear on a mic in what's likely going to be like a barely full stadium. That voice just isn't powerful enough for me to capture that whole arena. And I just don't – like, he, he's, I think he's good at making songs. I don't think he's a talented singer in the very slightest. Like, I think his voice is grating. I don't think his voice has a lot of range. I think he just kind of talks uh, in staccato like a lot of these newer R&B singers. And it, it's just not – it's not a powerful method of singing for me. And I, to be honest, I find it quite boring. <laughs> All right. You know, even though that is it's definitely a boomer take, you do make some valid points. Um, I think early, especially early in his career, the weekend, like I, there are some live performances that I was like, oh, this dude should probably never sing live because he's going to get exposed. Like, this is not great. I think he's gotten a lot better. Um, I, I agree with you that there are very few, I think, few and far between singers that just straight up their own voice without any sort of additives, whether, yeah, it's auto-tune or whatever it is when, when they're mixing the audio, can compete with any of those people that you just meet, uh, that you just named, that you grew up listening to for sure. Um, no, but they're, they're out there, though. They are out there. Maybe they're like, just not – they're not as well-known. That's This I'll, is very I'll, true. I'll take a line from my grandma. She says uh, – my grandma says that we need to let ugly people sing again. And <laughs> I, I don't I, – you know, is it a problematic take? Maybe a little bit, but – I don't know how much I disagree because I I feel like we we've, we've whittled down the talent pool on these R&B singers and there's some real talent out there that that we just need to expose and give them light but I I just the weekend doesn't move me like I I posted this 300 song R&B playlist that I have and like there's one weekend song on here and uh it it's just I I don't know he like I just don't think he's a very I think he's a talented song maker I don't think he's a talented singer in like in the slightest all right. All right. Well, we will let that take. We will let the audience decide for themselves. I personally, uh, while I don't 100 percent disagree with you, um, I more just wanted to hear why you didn't think he was a talented singer. It was a yeah. it was funny to watch the um, the responses to you yesterday. <laughs> hey, I will say, though, on my take, though, I did get I did not get ratioed. I would like to clear that up because okay. right. I got more likes on my take than replies or quote tweets. Wow. Okay. So you didn't get ratioed. That's a big deal. I thought for sure early on, it looked like you were going to get ratioed. So that, uh, that really turned around. Um, no, I, I think that my, my take found auntie Twitter and they gave me some love. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well then, uh, you know, honestly, I was going to kind of go in more on you, but if you didn't get ratioed, it's hard. Like if the people, you know, if enough people kind of agree with you, who, okay, who would be your choice? You, you mentioned like there are some people out there, maybe lesser known right now in the space, um, that have these types of voices. Who who is one person? Whether they're you know maybe they're maybe they are ugly. Maybe they're one of these people that your grandma was referring to. But um, who is one person that you uh, that maybe people don't know about that you're you're big on right now? I mean, I don't know. I, I honestly don't know like how famous she is because I've gotten kind of detached from like radio and stuff like that. For but, sure. Like Ari Lennox is. I think her voice is just unbelievable and. Her latest album, or the last one I listened to at least, was Shea Butter Baby. I think that came out last year. And, like, I don't know. Like, it's just you can hear it. You, she doesn't need auto-tune. Her voice is just absolutely lovely. And you can just kind of hear, like, 
how beautiful like the voice and the sounds that she's able to create really are and that's like the kind of singing that has always grabbed me not just you know because I, I don't know like it's just it's it's what weekend does to me is just not special like to me I, I personally think a lot of people can do that uh but to have someone who can like like you, you just kind of feel it like from the pit of their stomach like there's real raw motion behind it and not only that but there's range with the singing like that's the kind of stuff that that grabs me and i think Ari Lennox is really good at that uh daniel caesar he's he's up there daniel too a good one for sure uh Khalid, I don't know that's how you pronounce his name. Uh, Khalid, Khalid, and uh, her are like my favorites right now. Okay, uh, that's a good list. I um yeah I I think the weekend definitely has like the span of emotions of a of a Drake. Like it's basically just like I'm either like getting fucked up or um I'm talking about like all the women I slept with like, or I'm I feel super alone. Like those are like their yeah. three <laughs> like their three emotions. I will say for the weekend he does have a sort of. I think there is a uniqueness to sort of his, um, whether it's his, I mean, I do think he has a unique voice, like at the very least, like he does have a sort of unique sort of tone to his voice. Um, and I do think he, like you said, he does make like just the song in general, the structure of the song, the catchiness, whatever. I do think there is a uniqueness there. Like I would, I would put Bryson Tiller like way below him. Like I think Bryson Tiller is kind of just trash in general. Um, so I do think there's a uniqueness, but I, I will now say I'm very, uh, I'm excited to see your tweets during the weekend Super Bowl performance. Like that's now I'm ready for that. I would like yeah, I, everyone look, to tune in for that. They should just bring back Bruno Mars because that was awesome. Like I would be so down for that, but you know, I'm, I'm willing to get these tweets off at the expense of my own uh, <laughs> notifications because guess what? The good thing about the internet is you can just log off and these people aren't real anymore. So it's a great point. And like, it's the pandemic and we can't do anything. So sometimes you just got to get these tweets off, you know, like there's nothing else. Yeah. To do. If someone told me that was the worst take that I've had besides thinking Dwayne Haskins was good. And I'm like, Hey, like, <laughs> Hey, like if, if those are my two worst takes after like, like six years of being on Twitter, I'm I'm not doing too bad for myself. No, you're doing all right, man. If those are the worst, like like I haven't said anything racist, like that's pretty good. Haven't said anything <laughs> racist, yeah. And like I think a lot of people thought Dwayne Hanson was going to be good. Like you're fine, man. You're doing all right. Um, yeah. Cool. Well, Charles, man, appreciate you joining. Thank you for uh, clarifying your weekend take. Um, you know, I will I'll make sure I send any of my uh, my wide and vast audience that I'm sure is full of weekend stands. Uh, I'm going to have them send some letters your way. So. <laughs> Bring it on. Yeah, just like personally handwritten letters. Um, But uh, yeah, follow Charles at 4Verts if you haven't already. Check him out, NY Daily News. He also does a great column there. I think you just call it the 4Verts. That's uh, a really good read that looks at the league as a whole. um, And that's a weekly thing that you do that I think is really, really good too. So check that out. Uh, Charles, man, thank you so much. Thanks for having me.